Thanks for listening to this audio podcast from Redemption Life Church. Listen as Pastor Michael teaches on the third week of our empty series leading up to Easter. Before I get started today, I was looking for Nick. Is Nick outside? Oh, Nick, there he is. Nick, come down here. You're going to be my special assistant today to start this sermon. Come on down, Nick. Just, just stand right over here by this keyboard. Yeah, just stand right here. Right here, that's good. Perfect. Just give me a big, broad target. <laughs> I want to try something. <laughs> I borrowed my son's airsoft gun. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I heard Tim Hawkins. Anybody like Tim Hawkins? Tim Hawkins tells a joke about his son shooting him with an airsoft gun. He said, I don't know why they call it that. There's nothing airy or soft about it. You kill a a squirrel with this, but you're not a squirrel. right? So this can't possibly kill you. (laughs) So what I'm aiming for is the purple bunny right in the middle there. Just the purple bunny. I suggest that you hold still. <laughs> well, I'm going to aim, but it's going to help if you hold still as well. All right. <laughs> now, I, heard, I read that this range is safe. <laughs> I, saw, I read it on the internet. <laughs> Got to be true. Yeah. Apparently, no one has died. From a 10-foot airsoft shot. <laughs> yeah. So, um, I mean, you are, they would have to have pre-existing. Do you have any pre-existing? <laughs> uh, that's the only way that you might die is if there was some pre-existing conditions. But I think, I just try to pick the healthiest, strongest-looking man in this room, you know, that has a pain tolerance through the roof, Right? who's told me time and time again, Michael, I got your back. Anything, right? Huh? Come on. So I chose you. You should feel honored, privileged, all right? So this is a little experiment, okay? (laughs) So just, yeah, you might want to just... (laughs) Uh, I could have. <laughs> uh, let me give you something here. Hey, you hold your box there. <laughs> All right. Are you ready? Just, there are hundreds of people in here, and I'm sure millions are watching us right now on live stream, right? Millions are watching. I always want to say that. I love Judge Judy. She always says, you're doing this in front of 10 million people. So there's 10 million people watching you right now. So I'm just telling you that for your sound effects when you get hit. You don't want to, you know, you want to. Are you ready? All right. I'm in it to win it. I'm zeroed in on the purple right now. Emily, have you kissed him today? 
You probably should have. All right, are you ready? Can everybody count me down? Wait, you got to count together. Y'all are all... Oh, okay. Suspense, suspense is killing him. I'll count myself down. Three. I'm getting feedback on the mic. Hold on. Let's do it left-handed. I've never shot. I've never shot. I don't even... How's this, huh? Oh, yeah. How's this work left? Oh, <laughs> down. <laughs> oh, I don't know how you do this with your left. Man, oh, wrong eye. There we go. Okay. Are you ready? <laughs> Other eye? I only got two, guys. You keep telling me the wrong one. I changed it. <laughs> one, two, three. Ah, oh. Josiah. What is wrong with your gun? Oh, thanks for your help. <laughs> I told you he said he would do whatever he needed to do to help me. One, two, three. Thing is, I'm not. Huh? I thought this worked. You told me it works. Now sit down. I know it wasn't going to work. I would have never shot you. I was ready. Thank you. That's how it always works. No weapon formed against you shall prosper. Your adversary is like Amber Fudd. What in the world? I probably should not do that. <laughs> Amber Fudd. Like, what's wrong with it? It's broken. It's not charged every time. Every time. Today, Jesus came to make sure the weapons of your adversary were empty. Had no power, had no authority, could not work against you. That's why Jesus came. We were, we left the garden empty. We vacated the promise. We vacated the plan. And in response, he vacated his throne. And he emptied himself. And he came to empty every weapon that's been formed against you and leave it worthless, invalid, unable to hurt you or to harm you. That's what he came to do. Isaiah 54, 17, no weapon that is formed against you will succeed and you will condemn every tongue that accuses you in judgment. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and their vindication is from me, declares the Lord. No weapon formed against you will prosper. They will be formed, and they will look scary. 
And they will look like it's going to hurt and it's going to take you out potentially. But when they go to bring the harm, to bring the pain, to bring the, the absolute hopelessness, you'll find that they're empty. Empty threats. Empty slander. Empty weapons that do not work. 1 John 3, 8, Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. He came to destroy the works of the devil and leave him worthless. Let's go to Mark chapter 5. I just want to walk through a few things with you today. Mark chapter 5. Actually, if you're taking notes, you can just mark it down. Mark chapter 5, 21 through 42. Guys, I'm going to probably just paraphrase because I got a lot of stories I want to paraphrase today so we won't read the whole stories you can probably just leave the graphic up and I'll just jump around jump around jump up jump up and get down <laughs> Woo! I totally forgot something and that reminded me I want to show y'all something before we leave today and I don't know how I can do it at the end so Let's just see how this works, all right? I've already made my analogy. I'm ready to preach this word, but I forgot an announcement. I forgot an announcement. Can you guys get right back here? Can you just get right back to this analogy? Can you get back here? Can you do it? All right. If you don't, I actually know how to make it work. No, I'm kidding. All right, so last night, I want to read... Actually, I'll show the video first, and then I'm going to read. You guys got it? We don't have it. Awesome. Never mind. We're not going to show a video. We made one, but we're not going to show it. Maybe by the end of service we'll have it, and those of you that like to hang around after service, you can see it. But last night we had um, a king's banquet. Yeah, that's better probably at this point. We had a king's banquet. Aren't they beautiful? This is our eighth grade and our high school students at Redemption School of Worship. Last night we had a little event, our first annual king's banquet. I think it's the Lord, really. I want to show that video to everybody, but that's just not the moment. All right, so here's the king's banquet. We had the students come. They dressed up in awesome attire. They showed up with no idea what was going to happen. They took pictures. They loaded up in a Hummer limousine, went to Bonefish Grill. There it is. Isn't that awesome? And they uh, had a complimentary meal at Bonefish Grill. Shout out to sponsors, Redemption Life Church sponsored this event so that no student would have to pay. They sponsored the limo. They sponsored the meal. They sponsored all the decorations. Thank you, thank you, thank you. We believe something was done in their hearts last night that will they'll never forget. They were treated like kings and like queens, took them to dinner, brought them back afterwards in the limo to a beautiful, beautiful fondue, Buffet, bar, all right? Buffet is not a glamorous word. It's a golden corral word. 
We took them to Golden Corral. And, uh, and we had dancing. <gasps> we had dancing and we had fun. And we remained holy. Holy fun. I just want to read this real quick. First annual RSW King's Banquet was a dream come true. What a beautiful evening it was. It was in our heart to invite our 8th graders and high schoolers to an evening of fine dining, dancing, and fun. We did not desire to imitate the world's idea of school prom. We wanted to invite the students to encounter an evening as a son or a daughter at the king's banquet. We know on this side it pales in comparison, but it was a worthy attempt. Our evening was sponsored by generous donors within our faith family so as not to charge the students. After all, he does not charge us to come to his table. The students were hosted well by parents and staff of RSW. We ate at Bonefish Grill, and we were taken by a Hummer limousine. We returned to our student campus for a dessert fondue bar and dancing, which was beautifully led by our staff. Darkness is not to be compared to light. It cannot, be, it cannot comprehend it. We danced, laughed, and enjoyed each other as family, making memories that do not carry sin or shame as an aftertaste. We celebrated life and drank deeply of joy and laughter. We cheered each other on as we dared to be vulnerable enough to dance a dance. The evening closed with a gift, the king's favor, if you will. The ladies received a crown necklace and the gentlemen received leather keychains. These were reminders of their position as sons and daughters, royalty with authority. We look forward to many more encounters like this with our students as we seek to imprint identity and kingdom culture in their hearts and minds. Thank you, Jesus, for paying the price for us to sit at the table with you. We had an amazing, amazing time. Again, thank you so much, students. Now that the entire faith family has seen the pictures, did they not everyone look stunning, beautiful, handsome, sharp-dressed men, beautiful princesses? Thank you for coming and having a blast, students. We love you. We don't just like you, we love you. We don't just love you, we enjoy you. And we desire to spend time with you. It is not a labor, it is not a chore. It's a privilege. Thank you for that privilege to celebrate you. Jesus came <laughs> to take away the weapons power of the adversary, right? So we're going to look at Mark chapter 5. I just want to go through a few things. Mark chapter 5, there's a story. I'm going to put this down now in case I mess up. Mark chapter 5, there's a story of a man named, named Jairus. Jairus had a daughter. She was 12 years old. 
this 12-year-old little girl was sick in bed at the point of death. Jairus approached Jesus and asked Jesus to come to his daughter's bed. He said, I know that if you touch her, she'll be whole. On Jesus' way to go to Jairus' house, there was a woman with an issue of blood. She had had it for 12 years. It's powerful. I don't know the full significance, but I believe there's a significance that this little girl was 12, this lady was sick for 12. Jesus is dealing with two instances, 12 years old. It's powerful. And so he's on his way to Jairus' house to pray for his daughter to be healed. This woman with the issue of blood presses in to Jesus while he's being surrounded by many others. She touches the hem of his garment And Jesus says, who touched me? He turns around. We talked about this last week. Remember when we were talking about the human nature of Jesus? He said, who touched me? He didn't know. Omnipotent, omniscient, Jesus didn't know. Turned around and asked. Saw the lady and said, daughter, your faith has made you whole. I love not just what Jesus does, but I like how Jesus does it. I don't like that he just... You know, I I don't care. I I love that he healed her, but I love that he specifically spoke to her too. And he spoke to her a certain way. Daughter. He's so intentional. See, we only think about what he healed, but what else did he heal by calling her daughter? We don't even think of everything that he disbanded and disbarred and left empty because we don't even pay attention to all the details of it. What was the greater miracle with the woman of the issue of blood that she was healed in her body or that he called her daughter? Who knows? Maybe that was a more significant miracle in her life than even being healed of her physical ailment. Changed and shifted her forever. So she touched him and he said, you touch me. He saw her. He said, daughter, your faith has made you whole. I was thinking about the the implications of this. We talk about Easter. We talk about Jesus came, right? The enemy came to steal, kill, and destroy, but he came that we have life and have it abundantly, have it overflowing. And so we talk about being full. But I just want to talk today about everywhere Jesus went, he left stuff empty. Think about this woman. It says that she had spent all that she had with the, on doctors, and they had not been able to help her. You know what her appointment book looked like? You know what her reminds look like on her phone? You know what her Apple calendar looked like? I don't know what Android has. I'm sorry. I don't mean to throw shade. Google Calendar. Her calendar was packed. So I don't, I mean, I don't just think about what happened in her physical body. I think about what happened with her days. Jesus left her appointment book empty. All of a sudden, she didn't have any doctor's visits on her to-do list. All of a sudden, the thing that had dominated her life was no longer there. 
the thing that monopolized all of her time, her sole focus, she spent all of her money on it, all of her time on it, it was gone. Now she had just a wide open, empty schedule that could be filled with everything of the kingdom. She followed him. They come to Jairus. While he's, Jesus, Jairus comes to Jesus, I'm sorry, while he's still dealing with this lady. And they say, I was right to start with, they came to Jairus. Sorry. People from his house came to him and said, don't worry anymore about bothering the master. Your daughter is dead. Jesus said, it's okay, just believe. He went on to Jairus' house. He went on to his little girl's bed. And the people there were mourning. And when Jesus said, hey, let's change the atmosphere here, they began to mock him and laugh at him for saying that the little girl's not dead. She's just asleep. So Jesus puts them all out of the room. He makes the room empty. And then he enters it. Peter, James, and John go with him. He goes into the room. I love this. Let's read this. Verse 41. Not just what he does, but how he does it. Don't just memorize stories and rehearse them in your mind. Pay attention to the heart of your Savior. And taking the child by the hand. He could have just said, little girl, get up. Or he could have just said, get up. But he took her by the hand. He said to her, Talitha, come. Which translated means, little girl, I say to you, get up. And immediately the girl got up and began to walk for she was 12 years old, and they were completely astonished. Can you just see this bed, the deathbed, the little girl sitting on the bed, laying on the bed, gone, lifeless, destruction, devastation, Hello, somebody's listening to me, amen. Double time. You can't get enough, listen and watch. Double time. Double time, get it in there, good. You know? They say if you hear, if you see, and if you write, if you hear twice, think about that. Right? If you hear twice, think about that. So here's the bed. Here's the baby, 12 years old. Devastation has to be the single most devastating picture of their life, anyone's life. And I'm sensitive today. I have no idea all the stories in this room. This may strike home to someone in this room way more than others. To some of y'all, it's not a story in the Bible. 
It's a life you've lived. I want to say for all of us, in some way, it's a life we've lived. There's been a point where everything that we thought was the greatest gift in our life, and we felt like it was dead, and it was gone. And Jesus came, and he left it empty. The little girl's up, running around, and he says, give her something to eat. I just picture Fruit Loops. You know, something fun. You know, let's break off all this. I mean, I don't, it's not like cheese and crackers. I mean, it's, it's something fun. A birthday cake, something. It's a party all of a sudden. Devastation turned to celebration. And this is left empty. This vehicle, this weapon, this assignment, this plan, this thing of your adversary to steal, kill, and destroy is left empty. As a sign and a wonder, she's not there anymore. She's outside playing in the yard. It's just left empty. I was thinking during worship this morning at the end as Paul was singing. And it was so powerful. There's a reason why when some people sing, it's so powerful. Because they're not singing a song somebody else wrote. They're singing a testimony that they've lived. Now, I was thinking about Paul singing that song, and I just want to say this to anybody in the room, that maybe the outcome of your story didn't seem to happen like this. Maybe for you, you didn't see a resurrection. Maybe for you, you didn't see a dream come back to life. Maybe for you, there are things in your life that are just gone. And there's no motivational speech I can give, and there's no hyper-religious thing I can say that would tell you that it still can come back to life. Some things are just gone. Some things are gone. There's people that are gone. There's things that are gone. Paul and Chloe, we celebrate today that there's a baby coming. But over the last few months, there's two babies that were lost. Now, I remember, I believe it was after the second baby was lost, Chloe stood on the stage. You remember, I was powerful. I don't remember the song, though. It is well. Yep. Now it's all there. Chloe stood on this stage and sang, It is well. And today... Paul sings, he's a way maker, he's a miracle worker. See, the miracle is not always in the resurrection. The miracle can be in the life that is inside of you, that can be restored. The secret is, I mean, does you only, can you only sing about him being a way maker, miracle worker, when you see everything that you wanted to happen, happen? Or can you still sing it? when it didn't happen the way you thought it was going to happen. Can you still sing, it is well? 
Because that weapon can still not work on you even though it didn't work the way you thought it was going to work. God can do that. You understand that? What's a greater miracle? If he changes your situation or if he changes you to where you feel joy even though you suffered great loss. So it's powerful and it reminded me of a story from the life of Padre and Susie. One of their uh, son's children, help me with the story, from John. John, first son? Jonathan, John, he doesn't go by Jonathan. John Bradbury, he's your oldest son, right? Paul is? He acts older. Paul, he acts older than you. Just kidding. Paul's, Paul's just a little more fun. I mean, that's not an insult, right? I mean, John's more serious. Paul's more fun. Amen? Anybody knows him knows I'm telling the truth, right? Maybe just, maybe John's more serious because Paul was so fun with him. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Asaph is born, born dead, stillborn, purple, no breath, home birth. So they call, the, the midwife calls, calls ambulance, paramedics, what have you, they come. John picks up Asaph in his arms and just begins to pray in the spirit over this baby. If you don't know what that is, that's groanings that you don't understand that are prayed to you by the Holy Spirit. It's in the Bible. Prays in the spirit over this baby. When the paramedics get there, they are at the door and they can't even walk in. Because there's such a powerful presence in the room, glory in the room. Even these paramedics just knew this is a sacred moment. And he's praying over this baby in the spirit, and the baby breathes, begins to cry. Padre goes out in the front yard and is walking around in the yard. And he starts lifting his hands and he's singing, You are great. You do miracles so great. There is no one else like you. There is no one else like you. You are great. You do miracles so great. There is no one else like you. There is no one else like you. It says, you deserve the glory and the honor. So we lift our hands in worship as we lift your holy name. You deserve the glory and the honor. 
Lord, we lift our hands in worship as we lift your holy name. You are great. You do miracles so great. There is no one else like you. There is no one else like you. You are great. You do miracles so great. There is no one else like you. There is no one else like you. Powerful moment. Years later, not years later, they got married, but Paul, their oldest son, married Darlene's and Barry's little girl, Whitney, and they had four boys. I think it's the third boy. Third little boy's name was Patrick. Patrick was three years old at the time. Patrick went to a birthday party at the lake, disappeared for a time. They found Patrick in the lake. He had slid and fell, potentially hit his head, I think. I don't know all the details. That, I don't know if that was ever even decided, discovered. Went into the lake. They found Patrick. Patrick was gone. Three years old. Holy Spirit ministered to mom and dad. Spoke to them. Prepared them. Before they even found Patrick. They knew he was gone. And they knew that God was still going to be glorified. Somehow through this situation. We've honored them for that here. They had a funeral. They had a graveside. We're at the graveside. and I had an old phone and I took a picture. And it's one picture that I'd give anything if I had and I can't. That's gone. But the three brothers were sitting on the little mound in front of the casket of their little brother. I'm not, I'm not trying to take a sad story and like build something up, but I'm just, I just, you got to just hear what God wants to do in your life. And they're sitting there, and this is just devastation. We've got balloons. I think we let balloons go. I can't remember that part. Padre didn't realize this till I think, weeks later, I told him this story and what made it so powerful to me. Because you know what song they started singing at the graveside? You deserve glory and the honor. Lord, we lift our hands in worship as we lift your holy name. You deserve the glory and the honor. 
Lord, we lift our hands and worship. As we it looked a lot like this. As we lift your holy name. But this was sung with just as much fervor. You are great. You do miracles so great. There is no one else like you. There is no one else like you. You are great. You do miracles so great. There is no one else like you. There is no one else like you. Some of y'all, he didn't rescue this situation for you. He didn't remove the dead thing and take it away so you had a beautiful memory. But he wants to remove that power of the sting of that dead thing. He said, oh, death, where is your sting? Where is your sting? Maybe this situation isn't empty, but he wants to leave you empty of all of the pain and all of the trauma and all of the suffering, and he wants to replace it with joy, unspeakable and full of glory, peace that passes all understanding, unfathomable, incomprehensible. It makes no sense to the world around you. Darkness can't comprehend the light that is shining in you in the midst of a situation that seems hopeless and desperate but he wants to remove that remove that sting of that thing remove that as if it wasn't even there take the power of it away so whatever the situation however it worked out this is how he wants to leave it that death that dead thing he wants to leave empty. You empty of this situation. You empty of this trauma and struggle. My computer shut off. Please, someone tell me that this little clock on my computer is broken. Oh my goodness. Can you just see in Mark chapter 2, the paralytic that had to be lowered down through the roof by his four friends? And Jesus said, rise and walk. Pick up your mat and carry that empty thing home. Come on. The paralytic mat is empty. There's things that have been carrying you. There's things that you've been drug around by. There's things that you've been relying on. There's things that you've put your faith in, your hope in. And those things need to be left empty. Mark chapter 5. This is our namesake of the day, empty chains. Mark chapter 5, there was a man that was so full of demons that he lived in a cemetery. And he didn't wear clothes. He couldn't, they couldn't keep clothes on him. 
and they chain him and shackle him, and he was he would get so out of body, extreme strength from these demonic forces that he would break chains off of himself. And then he encountered Jesus. Jesus just started walking up. And they started getting freaked out. Hey, 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 man. What's going on? What are you doing? Why, why, why are you coming over here? Why are you talking? Hey, leave us alone. What are you doing? Man, I ain't even said nothing yet, bro. Wait, what, what, what? <laughs> Those weapons start freaking out when he shows up and he sets him free. And the people get freaked out. You know when the people get freaked out? It says it. Read it. They get freaked out when he's clothed and sitting there in his right mind. That freaks people out. So I know the chains wouldn't work, but they kept trying, man. There was always potential in the chains. They were going to try to chain him again, chain him again, chain him again, as long as those demons had control. But now he's clothed and in his right mind. And forever, these chains are just going to remain empty. They have no purpose. They have no need for these chains. These chains serve no, no purpose. They're empty. Never again. So you see these chains in the cemetery. I don't know if you saw them when you were there, Mom, in Israel. Do you see any chains in the cemetery? They're probably still there, and they're probably still empty. Probably a little rusted. But the chains are empty. Man, Jesus wants to set you free of some stuff. He wants to leave some stuff empty. So much so that people around you will get freaked out at how you act. I want you to freak your family out. I want your family to be scared of you. Because you're just so awesome. Like, what's wrong with you? I remember Todd White tells a story. When he got radically saved, he went back to his family. His family that he had stowed from, robbed, took advantage of to buy drugs for many years. He had burned every bridge, and they were scared of him. I remember my own dad tells a story. He was a con man, a carny, on nightclubs and in the mafia. And when he started pastoring a church, some of those old people would come to him and say, what do we got running? We won't in on it. What's the take from the church thing? What do you get from it? And when then they would see that he was changed and that he was broken and he was moved with compassion, it would freak them out. What's wrong with you? We need more people asking, what's wrong with you? Right? Come on. I want to see some chains empty. Jesus came to leave piles of chains on the floor empty. Empty. Hey, don't clap to make me feel better, all right? Just, if you like it, if, you, if you're fired up, just be fired up, okay? I don't need no pity claps. 
I already told you, you don't have to clap. You don't have to be exuberant. Just chill. But if you want to, you just go on with it. Woo! Yeah! That being in the middle just ain't no fun. Just go all the way with it, right? If you're fired up, just let it, let it rip, man. Give me a big old woo! I like Danny. Danny's still here. He had to slip out. He was doing an ordination today. Danny says, if you like it, Amen. if you know I'm right, Amen. makes me think of old Hulk Hogan. Huh? I'm going to start doing that if I make a point. He wants to leave chains empty. <laughs> All right, we got to double time it. Double time it. You ready? You ready for double time? John chapter 2. John chapter 2. This is when Jesus, if you're taking notes, verse 13 through 16, Jesus goes into the temple and he drives out the money changers and those that were selling doves. He drives them out. You know what they were doing? People would bring an offering and they would tell them their offering wasn't good enough. We're going to charge you a slight commission and we'll change out your offering and give you a better one. Oh, you don't have a nice dove? We'll sell you a dove. They, were, they took the market on worship. They were trying to, they were becoming an impediment and a barrier to people encountering Jesus. And he drove them all out. And he left an empty place for you to come into. You keep reading that story, you'll see all the sick came into the temple then. And then Jesus was healing them. So for you, he's left a place. He's left a room. He's cleared out a space of all the obstacles and all the opposition and all the slanderous voices that say, you're not enough, you're not good enough, you can't approach him. He's driven all of them out with a whip. And he's left it empty for you and inviting for you. Just come on into the empty room. I've got a space for you. He's got rid of them. John chapter 8. They brought in a, a woman caught in the act of adultery to Jesus. Jesus, you know the story. Maybe. Some of you may not. John chapter 8. Study it. Read it. They bring a woman in that's caught in the act of adultery. We talked about it a few weeks ago. Remember the word interrupted the word? They brought what they thought the word meant and interrupted the word actually speaking. They brought a woman caught in the act of adultery. Jesus has a conversation. Jesus does some artwork on the ground. I don't know what he wrote. I don't know what he did. I love Bill Johnson says, I love all the sermons on what Jesus wrote in the dirt. Nobody knows, and none of them are probably true. I just always say that last one I heard was awesome. That was, that was probably what he wrote. Let everybody take their liberty, I guess. But nobody knows, but here's how the situation ended. All of the accusers that had rocks in their hands that were ready to stone this woman for what she had done, this is how they were left empty hands. Jesus came to leave, leave all the accusers that come to condemn you with empty hands. Jesus came to remove condemnation. Jesus came. God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son so that whosoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. He did not come into the world 
to condemn the world, but that through him the world might be saved. He has come to leave condemnation empty-handed. He's come to take the stones out of the hands of the slanderer and the condemning voice. He did not come to condemn you. Romans 8, 1 says, Therefore thou, there is no condemnation at all for those who are in Christ Jesus. we got to wrap this thing up. And I can't make it a part two because i got something else for next week. So we're just going to have to wrap. Let's go to Matthew chapter 7. We'll read this passage, guys. Matthew chapter 7, verse 14. Man, I was going to tell you about Bartimaeus in Mark chapter 10, verse 46 through 52. I was going to tell you about Lazarus in John 11, 43 through 44. But I don't have time. Matthew 17. When they came to the crowd... A man came up to Jesus, falling on his knees before him and saying, Lord, have mercy on my son because he has seizures and suffers terribly. For he often falls into the fire and often into the water. And I brought him to your disciples and they could not cure him. And Jesus answered and said, you unbelieving and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? See, I told you Jesus was tempted in all ways. He's frustrated. How long shall I put up with you? Bring him here to me. Verse 18, and Jesus rebuked him, and the demon came out of him, and the boy was healed at once. Ezra, can you bring me my water real quick? I was thinking about this story, and at first glance... Because of what Jesus did in this boy's life, the water that he used to throw himself into and potentially wanted, those demons wanted to drown him, steal, kill, and destroy. And so because of what Jesus did in this boy's life, the water is empty. All right? He wanted to throw him into the fire so that it would destroy him. So because of what Jesus did in this boy's life, the fire was empty. I started thinking a little bit more about it. Let me get something over here. Hey, Nick, you want to help me again? <laughs> this worked. Start thinking about that fire. It's hot. It's pretty hot. It's hot. Fire's empty. Water's empty. But like, is water bad? I mean, I mean, I got a pool at my house. I don't want it empty. I want to get in it. Pay too much to get it clean. I need to be in it. I don't want to be in fire, but I want fire. I want fire. I want some sort of heat to cook my food, warm up my water, keep me warm in April when it snows. 
Can I see? Fire is super important. I'd almost say, I mean, I wouldn't want to live without fire. You can't live without water. Most people say three days is kind of the common thing. Some people want to test it. If you want to test it, break the record, go for No, I I didn't hear that here. Disclaimer, 10 million people are watching this. I don't want 10 million people to hear that. Do not go over 24 hours without drinking water. That's what I say. Under any circumstances, drink. Matter of fact, let's just take it all the way. Drink eight glasses of water a day. That's what Redemption Life Church recommends. That's our official statement, is that you drink eight glasses of water a day. Sparkling water, that's fine. If you want sparkling or work, that's okay. All right? That's okay. That's what we say, drink water. But I was thinking about these things. We need them. There's nothing... I mean, we, he, he needed to leave fire empty, but there was nothing about the fire that was evil. There was nothing about the water that was evil. It's things that we needed. See, I mean, all of us want these situations to be reversed. All of us want these obvious situations to be reversed. Are you with me? All of us want, like Nick, these weapons not work. There's obvious things that we want God to rescue us from and save us from. But what about the things that we need to live? Yet if we're not careful, that same adversary that wants to kill you and destroy you will cause the things you need to actually take you out. So the miracle is not so much that the fire was empty or the water was empty, but that the boy was empty of the influence that would cause him to go into the things that he needed for to live, but would cause him to go into them in a way that they would take his life. See, there's things that are obvious that Oh, yes, I want to be saved from that. I want to be saved from that. I want to be saved from hell. Jesus, be my Savior. Rescue me. But do we want Him to be our Lord that leads us out of things we want? But He knows we want them because we're being influenced by a destructive voice that wants us to go so deep into the things that are needed that they become a source of destruction in our life. Are you with me? We need money to live. I mean, it ain't like the old, it ain't Little House on the Prairie. They won't even let you live off grid. You know, you can't even do it. They'll come tell you, you can't live here in this house on your property unless you have the certain amenities we feel you need to have. It's sad, but you can't. So then you got to have money, because KUB don't accept chickens. They don't accept eggs. They don't accept that stuff, right? If they would, I'd be golden. But they don't. So you got to have money. In this world that we live in, you have to have money. 
But if you're not careful, those broken places in you can be exploited by your adversary and make you go after money in a way that can destroy your life. We need relationships. It is a proven fact that we are built to have relationships. We need acceptance. We need confirmation. We need affection. We need interaction. My family, we used to watch this show called Alone, and they put these people out, and they have to survive alone, and whoever stays out there the longest all by themselves wins, and Nine out of ten times, it's not because they don't have food or water or any other of the amenities. They find ways to survive that. But nine out of ten times, they leave because they can't handle being alone. So it is a fact that we need interaction. Young people, are you listening? If nobody else in this room is listening, if you're single, all the single people, all the single people, You need affection. You need relationship. You need interaction. But if you are not, I don't even want to say careful because we don't live, people of God don't live on eggshells where we have to sit around with a microscope making sure we don't do stuff wrong. Let me just change the language. If you're not willing to just be led. If you don't just surrender and trust him to just lead you in wide open spaces with tons of options, the boundary lines have fallen favorably for you, not restrictive to you. Are you with me? People don't like this. Oh, you're like a free-for-all. I'm just telling you. He ain't as narrow as you think he is. I know that the way is narrow and few. I know all that stuff. That's Jesus. He is the one and only way. But once you go through him, it opens up. He's the gate, but it opens up into a whole lot more. So we don't sit around on a tightrope all the time. Am I handling all my relationships right? Am I handling all my relationships right? Am I having wrong emotions, bad emotions? Oh, goodness, I'm introspective. Let me make sure. But if you won't just trust him with relationships, that thing can be a fire that the adversary of your soul will throw you into. And it's sent to destroy you and consume you and burn you up. So there's things we need. But they need to be left empty of our pursuit in the flesh. And they need to be delivered to us by our Father through the Spirit. You guys stand up with me. I promise you guests, ask everybody in this room, we've been doing good. Come on, I've been shooting for like 12, 15, and we've been killing it killing it. I don't even know where it went today. I don't know what happened. 
Huh? My whatings? My drawings. The drawings went too long? All right, no drawings next week. <laughs> My family will just take the grand prize. <laughs> didn't, didn't get an amen on that. <laughs> Go back to the drawing board. Man, there's obvious things we want him to rescue us from that need to be left empty. So much I wanted to say. I want to tell you about the woman who broke her alabaster box and poured it on Jesus' feet. See, there's things that are identity. It's who we are. And it's been, it's been developed by what we need. We've pursued what we need so much that it's become who we are. And she broke who she was. And she poured it out till it was empty. So she could be filled up with who he is. The woman at the well left her bucket. I don't need this anymore. I've got a river, living water inside of me. Brian Bartimaeus threw off his robe. His robe that identified him as a beggar. It's who he was. It's how he had identified. That's how he had gone through life. In a poverty mindset. In a victim mentality. And he left that robe empty on the ground. And Jesus filled him with vision. He emptied himself so that we can be full. And we empty ourselves so that we can be full. He wants to leave things empty. He wants to leave you empty of every stench and every place that the adversary has in you. Jesus said, he has no place in me. So he has no authority in me. It's like in a hook in a fish's mouth. If he's in you, he can lead you. And I want to be empty of all the hooks and all the pulls and all the wounds. Let us lay off all the sin and the wounds that so easily beset us and entangle us. Are you willing today to be empty so that you can be full? Are you willing today to trust the Holy Spirit to take some things that you don't want to be saved from? And will you have faith today that he'll take some things that you do want to be saved from? Come on, I want everything he has for me, and I want to be empty of every weapon. I want every weapon to be empty. Thanks for listening to this audio podcast from Redemption Life Church. Be sure to stay connected with us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at Redemption Life Church.